Welcome to Being Professional in English Podcasts, podcast number 55. Collective decisions. What are they? Why do we want them? And how do we have them? Let's begin. Welcome to this podcast number 55 on collective decisions. First of all, for those of my listeners who celebrate Christmas, Merry Christmas to you. We're a couple of days away from it. And for those of you who have the new year beginning in January the 1st, Happy New Year to you. I hope 2013 turns out to be a fantastic year for you. Right, this decision, this um, collective decisions. Fascinating topic, really important one. It's one of those very small items with relation to management techniques, which, again, is quite banal, quite easy in terms of describing it, but actually quite difficult to actually achieve it. It's one of those things that if you read some management books, which I read a lot of management books, they talk about it would be wonderful to have, but not a lot of them talk about how to achieve it. And that's what this podcast is about. It's hopefully what all my podcasts are about, but it's particularly what this one's about. Collective decisions. We've got three points today. Answering the question, why do I need collective decisions in my operation or in my group or in my area? Does collective mean consensus or agreement? Because often there is a little bit of confusion, I think, between these two words, consensus and agreement, and it's their connection with collective decisions. And finally, the last point is how to achieve collective decisions in one easy technique. Yep, it's going to be one, one technique, one frame of reference, which will help you more than probably 75%. I'll take you 75% along the way to achieving collective decisions in your group or your area or your project team. So let's begin, shall we? Why do we need collective decisions? First of all, why don't we start off with what is the definition of a collective decision? The first that I heard of collective decisions was when I studied the UK government when I was at school. And they would talk about making collective decisions with the cabinet. The cabinet is the highest part of the government. It can vary <clears throat> between 16 and I think up to 28, I think has been the, uh, the, the highest number of ministers on the, the cabinet. And it's the meeting that takes place at number 10 Downing Street, where ministers talk about different aspects, different issues, different problems. Very similar, in a way, to any meeting that we all have in our in our companies, except that what the government's doing are far more important decisions than we're ever going to make. 
In any case, the when I was studying this, it, it you came across this idea of collective decision making, which meant that once a decision had been made, outside of the doors, when the ministers were talking to the press and when they were asked questions, everyone would be behind that decision. So that's really what a co- the definition of a collective decision is. It means that when you walk out of the meeting, everyone does their best to achieve whatever has been decided. So everyone is behind the decision, is behind the the task or objective that follows on from the decision, because as we know, decisions on themselves are just intentions and nothing more than that, as Peter Drucker uh, often reminds us that decisions are at best intentions to make them actually effective you have to make them into action points and then follow up those action points but in doing that and in following up the action points to make the decision effective you need as much as possible for everyone to be behind the idea This is obviously particularly true if you're talking about large changes in companies where people are obviously reluctant to change and you need a united front of all of the people who have made the decision in the meeting to actually push this change through. But my experience is that it's equally important at the the lowest level in the company that, that, that occurs. Any meeting that takes place where a decision is made In my opinion, there is great need for this idea of of a collective decision taking place. And we need them for three particular reasons, which I've alluded to just now. One is that they publicly hold people accountable. In that once you walk out of that meeting room, once you're board of directors or your directors or your group or uh, whoever was in that meeting the project meeting members once a decision has been made everyone is publicly accountable to reaching the objective of that decision publicly in the sense that amongst the people in the meeting room so let me give you a Uh, an easier example to understand with action points. If I'm working for you, you're my boss, and during a meeting you say to me, Mark, all right, Mark, you agree that tomorrow you will have sent the email off to our biggest client about the conference. So the who is Mark, me. The what is sending the email, and the when is by tomorrow. And I can say... At that point, yes, I have agreed to do that. Or no, we didn't say by tomorrow, we said by next week. But when I say yes, I've publicly made myself accountable for the follow-up and the, con- and the completion of that particular task. And it's the same with the collective decision. It also ensures a united front there's so much talk about trying to have uh, you know, good teams working together and everyone working in the same direction, all this sort of stuff. And there's very little about how you actually achieve it. And you know, one of the things where you can achieve it is that if you are 
um, and particularly if you're on the board of directors, the highest meeting that takes place in the company, and you cannot deal with having a collective decision. So if something goes against you, immediately you get outside of the meeting, you begin to tell everyone that you're against the idea. You can't have that, which is is very detrimental for the team, and then say to people below you, well, you have to work very well um, within this team that we have in the company. It's a classic example of being hypocritical and something which I really cannot abide by with, uh, with managers, you or with anyone actually. You can't tell someone to do something if you're not doing it yourself. And this is particularly true when you're, when you're at a high level in the company. So the collective decision allows the impression of a united front. The third reason is that it actually increases the chance that whatever is the task or objective which came from the decision, that it will be met. Because if you have everyone aligned with it, collectively accountable and responsible for the decision that's been made, it makes it far more likely that the objective will be met and any difficulties that uh, come about are tackled and, um, I want to say superato, because uh, because I'm, I'm starting to lose my English. Living in Italy for seven years, eight years nearly, I'm starting to lose my English. Um, problems which have been tackled, uh, yeah, overcome, yeah, <clears throat> overcome, superare. That's a warning to you. When you go to live in another, in another country, you start to lose your mother tongue uh, language. So those are the reasons why we need collective decisions. Um, most of that, I think, probably will not be particularly surprising to you. Some of it might. Um, particularly maybe the last one where it actually helps you to be able to reach the objectives. But those are reasons why we need them. Let's go on to the, this, this interesting question of consensus and agreement. Um, first of all, consensus does not mean full agreement. There's been quite a push in the last 10 years uh, within management as trying to um, amalgamate these two concepts that a consensus means a full agreement, that everyone agrees to do something. Or that because you are, um, you know, uh, um, a humanistic uh, manager, and by the way, I firmly believe that all business is about people, whether it be the people you work with, or the people you work for, or the people you're trying to get to work with you, it's all about people. I mean, it's about product, about service, about follow-up, it's about price, it's about all of those things. But principally, the number one thing it is about is people. And as soon as you step back from that, it becomes a commodity, and that just becomes a disaster. But because of this, this more sort of, you know, if you want to be detrimental about it, touchy-feely type of idea of management, there's been some idea that, you know, you want to, you want to protect everyone's feelings, you want to look after people, you don't want people to be upset, and you want everyone to agree on a particular topic. Now, this is completely wrong. 
there is no reason why, as the the leader of the meeting, uh, be it the, the the owner of the company or the CEO or or whomever it is, you don't need full agreement to implement decisions. And in fact, I'd go so far as to say, and don't um, don't write to me and sort of lambast me about this. I'd go so far so far to say that. As, as the leader, the meeting leader or the company leader, I don't even think you need consensus. I mean, even if more people are against the idea, but you are for it, you can still overrule the majority and go ahead with the decision. That is what is called leadership, or part of it is called leadership, and that is what you're being paid for to do. So I don't even think we need to have, you need to have consensus. But maybe my view is a little bit extreme because, of course, you don't want to overrule all of your people all the time, obviously, because then you just become a tyrant and no one will bother giving their opinion because they may as well just do what you think. And that leads to lots of issues and dangers and risks for you, which you don't want to enter into. But every now and again, there's nothing wrong with you overruling the, um, the consensus of people. However, all the time, you never need full agreement. You need transparency. You need to know what everyone thinks. But full agreement, you don't really know. And at the end of the day in business, as indeed actually in life, uh, well, at least my experience has been that you know, I go through the business life and let's say I am involved in, in the discussion for 10 decisions, let's say. Out of those 10 decisions, probably I am really very much so in favour, really supportive of about two of them, 20%. And there are probably another 20%, two of them, which I'm really against. The vast majority, six, I'm neutral. Not neutral in the sense that I don't have an opinion, but neutral in the sense that I don't want to necessarily stick my hand up and say that I disagree with this particular idea. I don't feel strongly enough about it to do that. Remember the old Russian fable about the, the boy who cried wolf? You know, in the village that, uh, you know, one evening he, he shouted out, oh, there's a wolf, there's a wolf. And all the villagers got up and got their arms together and started to go out and wanted to kill the wolf. And, of course, there wasn't one. He did it as a joke, thinking it was funny. The next night he did the same. Villagers got up, <clears throat> rallied together and went out and tried to find the wolf, and there wasn't one. The third night... He thought it was so funny what happened that he did it again. And, of course, the villagers thought, uh, thought oh, well, you know, forget it. I'm not going to do it this time. But, of course, this time there was a wolf and the wolf ate the boy. Fable of that is never cry wolf. And it's the same in, in business. You rarely, in business, do you need to really draw the line in the sand. You know, beyond that line, I will not cross. I mean, that rarely happens in business. I mean, unless you're, com- you're a complete tyrant. You know, this doesn't mean you don't have very strong opinions on things. 
but it means that there there are very few occasions i think where you actually are going to say no this simply is not going to happen so that is why you don't need full agreement that is why you just need consensus i more people agree with the idea than disagree with the idea because most of the issues you're going to have you're going to be neutral on Let's go to the let's go to the the bit of the the podcast that probably you're you're going to be most interested in how you achieve this, and particularly as I've mentioned, it's going to be in one easy technique. It is one easy technique. I mean, it's very easy, and it's this. In the meeting, when you're discussing the 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 decision, you give people the opportunity to say their opinion, without. The fear of being judged, the fear of losing face, or the fear of losing their job. You just give them the opinion to talk freely without some concern about the politics involved about a particular idea. Now, to say there's not politics in a company would be naive. But as the meeting leader or the leader of the company or the leader of this particular department, but as the meeting leader, one of your roles is to try to make sure that the atmosphere is such that everyone feels comfortable enough to give their full opinion, even if their full opinion is contrary to the main thrust of, of the majority in the room. And this is very, very important. The reason it's important is because you want to collect a decision. You want that when people go outside the room, they will all work their hardest to get their people to achieve this. You're not going to get them to do it if you haven't given them the opportunity to talk freely and voice their concerns Without getting off their chest, as it were, they simple, simply will not buy into this idea. Because why should they? Whereas if you give them an opportunity to discuss it, to debate it, to try to convince others, but still they lose, and the decision goes ahead anyway, well, you know, they're professionals, they're adults, they will understand that sometimes the decision will go with them, and sometimes the decision will go against them. That is just the adult world that's the way it is but when they've had the opportunity to discuss it to tell their opinion to try and convince others that it's wrong they are going to feel a lot more relaxed about the situation they're not going to be happy because they still don't think it's a good idea but at least they've they've tried they've tried their best they fought and thereafter Thereafter, their job, their professionalism is to get that decision implemented. You know, we don't work in kindergarten. We're not, as we say in 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 the puck jockey, you know, the playground. We're not kids. Some decisions go against us. That doesn't mean when we're outside of the meeting, we can start to lambast the idea and talk about how stupid it is. No, we don't have that privilege. We have to go out and convince our people that they can achieve the objectives of this decision. 
You're not going to have that, though, unless you've given people the chance to talk about it. Now, this is not giving feedback to your boss. Let me be clear on this, because I'm sure you all remember one of my golden rules. No, not very many of them, but one of the golden rules, probably number one rule, actually, is never, ever, 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 never, ever give feedback to your boss. Even if your boss asks for it, never tell him or her how well or badly they've done. Just avoid it. Particularly if it's negative feedback. Positive feedback, you know, I've already seen people be upset about it. But negative feedback, they can do. And even if your boss has told you that that she wants to hear your negative feedback, don't do it. Do not do it. I promise you, you're just risking too much. And they don't, even though the bosses are asking for it, they don't want it. I've made a couple of very big mistakes in my in my experience doing this one of which cost me the opportunity to be in a company which lost me tens upon tens of millions of dollars of uh, of wealth so i absolutely tell you hand on heart never ever ever give feedback to your boss even if he or she asks for it But what I'm saying in this particular podcast about collective decisions is not giving feedback because it's not about what your boss has or hasn't done. It's about the validity of an idea, which is very different. You can at all times give your suggestions about ideas. You can have open debate, open discussion. That's what meetings are for. That's what they should be for. And you can talk about them openly without the fear of being judged. <clears throat> being judged, by the way, you know, uh, some people might think you're being politic, that you're you're going against this decision because you want to push your own decision. Or fear of losing face, if you put your hand up and say, actually, I don't understand why we are doing this. Or simply fear of losing their job, that the boss will not like you Uh, giving um, a negative reason to uh, his or her plan, they'll fire you. Collective decisions are very important. I've spoken about here how we do it. You give people the opportunity to give their opinion. And how do you encourage them? Because again, you can say at the beginning of the meeting, listen, I want everyone to be open. I want everyone to give their opinion. And because you're living with you know, many years of experience of, you know, past not-so-good bosses or not-so-good teachers at school and maybe, unfortunately, sometimes not uh, particularly um, great-term parents, you've got all that history to deal with when you're you're actually speaking to your, uh, your people. And even if you're the best person, sorry, the best manager in the world, you have to overcome all of their past experience. So how do we encourage them to open up in a meeting? The first of which is you never ridicule someone. If someone brings up an idea, you never say that silly idea or they shouldn't have said it. You are very positive always when people bring up an idea, even if it actually is a stupid idea. You never say it. So you never ridicule someone in public or indeed in private. 
In fact, you always support them as they explain it because people feel a bit nervous when they start to go against the consensus. Human beings are programmed to be within a crowd and people who are going outside of that crowd are taking a risk and you need to support them in that. So you need to just ask them little tiny, you know, questions, you know. Um, well, that's interesting you say that, John. Tell us why. Why do you think that? Or do you have some past experience to back that up? Or do you have some data that backs that up? So you, you, you help them along. You guide them along in explaining exactly why they are against a particular decision. And that will help with the understanding of everybody. Excuse me, in a minute, you have my um, my youngest son in the background. Let me just um, answer the door to him, and we'll go on from there. Okay, sorry about that. Back again. Um, so we were talking about uh, how important it is to always support people when they're doing the they're giving their opinion. You also can help them by watching people's body language. Often you see in a meeting when people are against an idea, you can see it. They start to shake their head, obviously the classic one. They start to look down. They start to fidget in their seat. When you see that, you might want to try to gen gently encourage the people to give their idea. Now, I say gently here because some people obviously are going to be a little bit <clears throat> nervous. But don't miss interpret me. I'm not trying to be too touchy-touchy, uh, feely-feely here. If you are in a meeting, anyone who is in a meeting needs to be prepared to participate in it. To participate and not to just to attend. It simply is not professional to say in a meeting that you do not have an opinion on a certain subject. You can't, that Just it, it's just not the case. Remember, you're in a meeting and you know what the meeting topic is about. So you've had an opportunity to, to prepare for that point of view. Also, let's say, for instance, I mean, I'll, I'll give you an extreme example. Let's say you're working in a company which produces oil. It's an oil company. You're working in British Petroleum. And you're in a meeting which is talking about the, the following marketing campaign for British Petroleum in the next few years. Right? Important meeting. Millions and millions and millions of dollars um, at stake. You're not going to be asked a question on what you think of the moving the Picasso Museum in Barcelona from Barcelona to Madrid. Where, of course, you could say, I have no idea. You're going to be asked questions which are related, if not to the actual topic of the meeting, to the absolute very least to the marketing of British Petroleum or indeed British Petroleum itself. So it's absolutely not professional behaviour to say in a meeting you have no opinion. And equally, it is not professional behaviour if you are the meeting leader to allow people to get away with it. You work for me and you're in a meeting that I've organised and I ask you a question, I expect you to have an opinion on it. I don't expect you to have the answer necessarily, um, but I expect you to have an opinion on it. 
So when you see someone's body language starting to twitch, starting to show some sort of negativity, you can ask them. You can ask them if they want to share what they're thinking with, uh, with the group. You do this if you create the atmosphere where people are feel comfortable to express their opinions. If you do that and you vote and the decision goes against some of these people, you are far more likely to see that outside of the meeting, they will do everything possible to reach the objectives that come out of the decision. When they speak to their people, they will not be negative about the idea because they've had a chance to express it and it's gone against them. Some do, some don't. That's life. An easy technique to say, difficult one to remember. Uh, I admit that in the meeting. But again, that's why you are at you actually uh, why sorry you are the meeting leader or the leader of the company or the CEO. That's why you're getting paid more money because your job is more difficult. It's a simple technique. It's difficult to remember. It's very subtle. It's an art form as opposed to science, and in that sense, it's difficult. But it has tremendous benefits. If you look at the teams around the world who run on a collective decision-making process, they are highly effective. So it's worth trying to get there. Thanks a lot for listening to the podcast. Sorry again, it's been a couple of weeks since uh, I did the last one. Um, Going to try to organise my time better in the in the new year. I wish you all again a fantastic Christmas for those of whom are for those of who are celebrating it. A great new year. Let's make 2013 a real success. Let's build our companies, our communities. Let's spend time with our families. Let's look after ourselves, read a bit of poetry, read a bit of culture, um, make love to our husband, make love to our wife, partner, lover, have a good time, be really successful at work, come to work, kick the ball out of the park and have a fantastic 2013. Thanks a lot for listening. I really look forward to speaking to you again next week. Bye.